Welcome to the Plant-Centered and Thriving Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kitchens. I'm a plant-based registered dietitian and virtual nutrition mentor. I was raised on an Angus cattle farm, grew up with a lot of GI issues, and used the power of plant-based eating to promote healing. Here, you'll find inspiration, ideas, and encouragement for your own plant-based journey. I'm so thrilled you're here today. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Ashley, and I'm so thankful you are here today. I hope you're having a lovely day wherever you are, whether you're driving in the car, listening to this on your morning walk, whatever you're doing. Thank you for being here. Today, I have with me Coach Claire. She has helped hundreds of runners chase their dreams and conquer big, big goals. So today we talk all about not just running, but how to, if you're interested in getting into running, how to do that. If you're embarrassed to go out and run, she has some tips there. She has some tips for fueling and she shares her own unique story and how she went plant-based and how she sort of started to adapt things when she started getting into running. And we also talk about how it's never too late to start running. You don't need to have run cross country in high school to be a runner. And so we talk about how she started her running in her mid thirties. Now she's in her forties and we talk all about that. So I'm really excited for you to hear her coaching philosophy and how it combines science-based training, plant-based nutrition and mindset techniques. And this helps you and her clients unlock every runner's true potential. She's an ASFA certified running coach. She's a sports nutrition specialist, a 258 marathoner, a mom and borderline obsessive plant lover. So as you can imagine, we got along really well talking about all things plant-based and physical activity. She is a gym. She is full of information. So let's jump right into the show and welcome Claire. Welcome to the show, Claire. Thank you so much, Ashley. Delighted to be here. I am so excited to have you on. I cannot wait to hear more about your journey and get into some plant-based running tips. But before mm-hmm. we do that, Claire, I would love, because I'm genuinely curious to hear about your story, your journey to plant-based. We love stories on this podcast. So uh-huh. we would just love to get a little background on what inspired you to embark on your plant-based journey. Yeah. So um, for years, I was kind of what you call a flexitarian. So um, I ate birds and fish, <laughs> basically, and and dairy and eggs. Um, I just I really wasn't into red meat or pork, mostly for health reasons. I just didn't like what I was reading about them. And just they started to just not even be appetizing to me anymore, which is crazy because I worked in a steakhouse in college. You know, I was a waitress. And so, you know, I went all the way from eating everything to kind of starting to get rid of some of that stuff. And honestly, what did it is probably pretty stereotypical. You've heard this story already from many people, I'm sure, is I watched Forks Over Knives and I was just like, okay, that's it, done. And I was one of those people who, I'm a very black and white person. I'm in or I'm out. And so it was like click overnight, totally done, plant-based from there, never looking back. With the exception, I had very little kids at the time and I would sometimes, I would still buy them goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes I would sneak a few goldfish, but that was really, really it. It just was a lifestyle that 
that resonated with me. I feel good on it. You know, I still was carrying a little bit of baby weight at the time. And just by switching over to plant-based without really dieting, not even restricting, I mean, eating a lot of food, I like to eat. (laughs) I, you know, just naturally lost a few pounds. And so that was kind of encouraging. And it was just something, you know, kind of after I saw that, I was just like, yep, that's it. That resonates with me. And I haven't looked back. I I like that word resonates. I I use the word align a lot, but I like how it resonated with you. And like you said, it made you feel good. And so you felt like, okay, well, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely first for health reasons, but the more I went along with it, the better I felt, you know, as far as environment. So environment is second. And then of course it's the animals, you know, I am not a super like bleeding heart person at all, but I also just don't understand why we're doing that to, you know, I just don't understand the point of animal agriculture at this point is just like we, from even from a business point of view, we are feeding so many calories to animals and getting so few calories out. Like it just does not make sense you know, why we're doing that. And then of course, if you look at them as sentient beings, which they are like, that just is a little squirmy for me as well. So, you know, again, so it's health first, then environment and then animals. Isn't it amazing how that works? Like you start on this journey for, for health reasons, and then you end up learning so much more than probably what you anticipated learning as the more you get into it. Yeah. It's just really weird the way we're not even allowed to see some of that stuff. Like it's protected, you know, what goes on in some of these slaughterhouses. I live in North Carolina and in the Western part. So we don't see it too much, but North Carolina is home to a lot of, uh, you know, pig farms and a lot of chickens and every once in a while, these, these huge ponds will just leak all over the place. And, you know, and these usually are in uh, places that are, you know, minorities live there. And so there's so many like social things going on too, like not just the environment, but it can be a real disaster. And it's just like, you don't have to eat this. You don't, we don't have to do this anymore. And it's just, it's mind boggling that it's even still going on to some extent. Yeah. Yep. I agree. I, I definitely agree. And I think they featured the pig farms here in North Carolina. I think in, in one of the documentaries, it might've been what the health or. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, one, one of those. Of, uh-huh. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it's, absolutely. It's yeah. I, I agree with you. It's like, why are we doing this still? Like it just, it really is not necessary. So I know Claire, you're a, an amazing runner. You coach a lot of people when it comes to running. So kind of tell us too, how you pivoted into that as well, um, into running. And because from what I understand and tell me if my timeline's off, you went plant-based first, cause that was about a decade right. ago. Mm-hmm. And then you started getting into running. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so I went, I went plant-based first and then it was time for my high school reunion. And so I was like, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to start running just to get in shape. I had run a a couple of times in my life previously, but it never really stuck for very long. And so that's what I was planning on doing, just doing it for the short term, just for this, you know, vanity thing to look good at my high school reunion. And that was about six months away. And after that came and went, I kept on running and I was like, well, I'm going to try a half marathon. I had run one in my twenties when I was trying to get over a breakup (laughs) And so I wanted to do another one just to see if I still had it. And I did a few minutes better. And so I was happy. 
And I kind of got the spark after that. And then I saw uh, one of my high school friends was running the Boston Marathon that year. And I was like, what? If she's doing it, I can do that. And I didn't realize at the time that you actually have to qualify to run the Boston oh. Marathon. You can't just go show up. So I had to run a marathon first. And so I really got into learning what I could. How do you run a marathon? What do you need to do? And I ran my first marathon here in Asheville on a very cold, rainy day. And Asheville is in the mountains. So it was hilly, is not an easy course. And I didn't make it my first try, but I made it my second. And from there on, just marathoning just really absolutely changed my life. I just fell hard for it, ended up running nine marathons. And I went from uh, finishing in four hours and two minutes all the way down to two hours and 58 minutes at age 42, which is pretty amazing. And along the way, I became a coach and, you know, I became a, a podcast host. And now I'm doing all of that and more. So it has absolutely just transformed my life. So I just say running in plants <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> have transformed my life. So here I am. Okay. Claire, you, so you started running like in your mid thirties, right? -ish. So mm -hmm. really, so you can start at running at any age then you don't have to be yes. running cross country in high school to be a marathon runner. Exactly. Exactly. In fact, I, I work more often with people who are just starting to run in their thirties, forties, and fifties. And the joy of that is you keep getting better and better and better. If you never, like if you're an all American high school or college, you're going to peak when you're in your twenties, maybe your thirties for a marathon. That's just the way the body works. If you are, you know, exercising to your peak, but 99.99% of us aren't doing that. And so when we learn to run at a later age, it's super fun because we keep improving and it's like we're fighting the aging process. Sure, we're going to slow down at eventually, but that's only if we've never peaked. So, you know, if you start running in your 90s and you've never done anything active in your life, you are going to improve. So that is the fun part of it. You know, you think, oh, running is just one foot in front of the other, but there's so much more to it. And the science of it is super interesting. So, yeah, it's it's great that just about everybody can do it and everybody can improve in it if they haven't done it before. And, and if you have, like, let's say you really were an athlete in high school and college, it can be really fun to see what you can do now, you know, and see if you can impress that 20 year old that you used to be. Yes. Oh, heck yes. And like you said, it was what, after nine marathons and you PR'd your time by over an hour. Yes. That's incredible. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. It took a lot of hard work and, <laughs> yes. and, and I don't race marathons now. Everybody asks me, Oh, are you still racing marathons? And I don't do it anymore. And part of it is I did get burned out. You know, I really did focus on it so hard. Like it was my job and it's like, uh, I don't want to do that. But it's also that I climbed my Mount Everest, you know, that was my thing. I caught my Moby Dick. So now I like to do something different. I'm, I'm not such a perfectionist that I need to be like, well, can I shave off one more minute? You know, that's not interesting to me. I like doing new things and 
you know, my passion now is helping others, you know, achieve the same kind of success and reach their personal goals. So now it's just not just me trying to do something cool. It's me helping hundreds of people do something cool, which is just so awesome. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's got to just feel so rewarding. Oh, it's the best. It is absolutely the best. And you know, as a podcaster that, you know, it's sometimes it feels like a one-way street, you know, you put all this stuff out there and you don't always know how people receive it. So when I started my podcast, The Planted Runner, I had no idea, like it got such a great reception and people were writing me these reviews telling me how much I've changed their lives. And I'm just like, I've never even met you. This is the best. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Very rewarding. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So I, so you obviously didn't run a marathon. Your first race was not a marathon, right? I ran a half first and then, yeah. And then a marathon for my second race. So I jumped right in. Okay. (laughs) So for someone who maybe a marathon, even a half marathon, isn't quite on the radar quite yet, or they're thinking Mm -hmm. about getting into running, where do you typically recommend people start? Because I I feel like there's some parallels, even with plant-based eating. It's like, you see these people cooking these amazing, elaborate, delicious plant-based meals. And it's like, oh my gosh, well, how, how am I going to do that? I'm, I'm making a peanut butter and jelly right now. So in regards yeah. to running, how, how do you help people sort of start on their running well, journey? First, first of all, peanut butter and jelly is great for running, so good. good for recovery. Absolutely perfect. So I say walking is a huge part of running well. Even if you are advanced, we don't uh, sing the praises of walking and enough. It's absolutely perfect for recovery and it can help your aerobic development. So running is aerobic and walking is aerobic, but you can only do so much running because it's such high impact. So there will be a point in everyone's, you know, life where running is too much for some people just starting off five minutes might be too much running. Um, if you're advanced, you know, 20 miles is too much running or something like that, whatever it is, there's a point where you should stop running because you're doing more harm than good. You haven't built up the tolerance for it. So your tendons, muscle muscles, and bones, and all of those things, they take a while to adjust to, to the impact forces that running puts on your body. So even if you come to running from another sport, like say cycling, so cyclists have built up these huge lungs, you know, to be able to get up the mountain or whatever, but they haven't built the, uh, you know, they haven't built up their legs for the impact of running. So they need to take it a step back. So what I tell everyone when they're just starting out, is walk, run. So you can do that in any kind of combo that suits you. But I like actually structuring the walk, run, and you want to walk before you need to. Because if you're run, run, run until you're absolutely exhausted and then stop and walk, that that will only get you to a point. But if you're able to run and then walk five minutes and then run and then walk five minutes, you can actually spend more time on that particular outing running because you're not exhausting yourself. So maybe you can only run 10 minutes at a time and then you're exhausted and you have to walk home and that's fine. But I would say instead, Instead of doing that, try running for five minutes, walking for two minutes, running for five minutes. I bet you can do 15 or maybe 20 that way. And so that is a way to actually sneak in more running by walking. I That's a great idea because I didn't think about how if you go out and you're like, okay, I'm just going to run for 20 minutes, but then you run 
to exhaustion, you can barely walk home, how that might be more detrimental than helpful on your running journey. Exactly. Exactly. And then I would say, don't run every single day. Not at first. Um, most people actually should not run every single day. I mean, if you're doing some kind of streak challenge where you run a mile every day, that's not necessarily something that's going to be super detrimental, but if you're actually training for something, you know, you don't want to run every single day because you want to spread out your recovery days. So you want to keep your hard days hard. So you really are stressing the muscles and bones in a good way, but then you want to have an easy day or a rest day in between so that you can get all the benefits of the hard work that you just did. So your muscles need time to repair and 24 hours isn't always enough. So, you know, if you're running at nine o'clock in the morning and you think that you're going to be recovered by nine o'clock the next morning, that's not always the case. And especially as we get older, that recovery process stretches out longer. So you really want to make sure that you are fresh for running and you can run fast when you're supposed to and run slow when you're supposed to. So that's the other key is when you are running, you want to go slow most of the time. And that's the paradoxical way to get faster. Okay. What do you say to people who are like, well, I'm embarrassed to run slow or like, I'm, I'm not a good runner as so-and-so, or people are going to see me because a lot of runners, they're typically maybe at a gym running on a treadmill or they're on the road or people are driving by any advice that you give to people who are maybe are kind of a little timid or embarrassed by it. Yeah, this is a common thing. So everybody feels that everybody is judging everybody else. And usually most people are so concerned about themselves that they're not judging. And if they are, they're jerks anyway. So, you you know, who cares about their opinion? The thing is, everyone starts somewhere. You know, you're not going to go run a marathon if you can't run a mile. So you have to break down those, you know, big goals into small pieces. So what can you do daily that's going to get you to the big goal? So if you want to do something like forget about the marathon, let's say you want to run a 5k, you want to do the turkey trot coming up. So what do you need to do every single day to get you to that goal? So reverse engineer what you need to do and you need to break it down into manageable steps. And so if you're worried about, you know, how you look or, you know, you're embarrassed or something like that, what does make you feel good? Would a cute new outfit make you feel good about how you look? Would you doing your hair, you know, whatever it is, like what does make you happy and try to incorporate that into what you're doing. So there's lots of little mind checks that we can do. If you are a member of a gym and you like running on the treadmill, maybe, you know, if you're embarrassed, you can find times that, you know, are less crowded. I don't know, you know, you can join a group, which some people find intimidating because, you know, oh my gosh, what if everybody's faster? But a lot of these groups are really, really supportive. And there are people of all shapes and sizes. Like I live in Asheville, North Carolina, and it is a running Mecca. And we have groups for everyone. Like there is an awesome beginner running group that meets once a week and every morning they go out for a run and they learn to run together and then they all run the turkey trot together, you know, so there's, there are people like you out there. We have this, <laughs> you usually have this sense that we're super, super unique. And I tell, <laughs> I tell people you're special, just like everybody else. And so, <laughs> so what that means is there's people out there just like you who feel the same feelings that you are feeling. And if you reach out and find them, you're going to feel a lot better. 
Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You're so right. Cause there are people out there who are just like you, who are probably even thinking the same things of like, Oh, I don't, I don't know if I should join a run group or I don't know how to start. Mm-hmm. Like there are other people out there thinking the same thing. Claire, that reminded me, I have, I have not thought about this in probably over a decade. I joined a run group just out of undergrad in between undergrad and grad school. And it was one of the best, most fun things I could have ever done for myself because mm-hmm. I was in a new city. I'd moved to Indianapolis for a year and I really didn't know a whole lot of people. And so it was a great way to connect with people. It was a great way to just, I mean, you're running alongside these people sometimes for hours. And so just to carry on conversations, really get to connect with people. Um, it was such a wonderful experience. So I could not yeah. recommend that. Absolutely transformative. And you don't know that until you actually do it. I think it is 100% part of why I was able to grow so much is because I saw women my own age just crushing it or even older than me just crushing it. And I'm like, wait a second. This is a totally doable goal. Like I can do this. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of patience. But, you know, to see people doing what you want to do for yourself. There's nothing like it. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. How did that go plant-based wise? Cause you already plant-based for a little while. Then you started getting into running. How did things kind of start evolving for you at, you know, with, with how you were fueling yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, I say, I tell everybody that everybody's vegan when they're running. <laughs> Nobody's eating cheeseburgers, running a marathon. Yeah. You know, some of the ultra runners do some weird things when they're out there for a hundred miles. So not all of them <laughs> are vegan, but you know, the vast majority of things of what you need to do to fuel your running is eating carbohydrates. And it's, you do need protein. You do need fats, of course, but the, the majority of your diet needs to be carbohydrate. And that aligns so well with the plant-based diet, because unless you're trying hard not to, a plant-based diet is going to be high in, in carbohydrates just naturally. You know, that's, that's the majority of plant foods are high in carbohydrate. So it, it just really aligns well. So what you do really have to think about is number one, are you eating enough food? When your mileage goes up, your intake has to go up. And the, and the trick is, even if you are trying to lose weight, <laughs> you can train for a marathon and lose weight. That is possible, but that's not preferable because if you're trying to do something for performance, you need to focus on fueling that performance. And if you're trying to do something for body composition, that might mean you need to be in a calorie deficit, which is bad for performance. That is bad for growth. So you need to be strategic about those two things. So I always say, you can have both of those goals. Just choose one at a time and go through cycles of what you need to do. And first of all, you know, decide if you really, really need to lose the weight. If you're a normal weight and you're you're doing well, your training is so much more important than five pounds. I mean, I learned that the hard way. I did get way too skinny and I was too restrictive. And that's not when I ran my fast. My when I ran my fastest is when I let go of that and I just said my body does not want to do this. This is not working. And thankfully, I reversed course before I you know hurt myself or lost my period or anything like that. Thankfully, I was smart enough to say this is not working, and I ran fast when I was heavier. So being your skinniest is not your fastest. And you're definitely going to be more injury prone if you go into that sort of like weight loss mentality when you're actually trying to do performance. So with the plant-based diet, 
our, our issues usually are for athletes is that we, we can't eat enough because if you're trying to fuel a marathon schedule on salads, you're, you're going to run into big trouble. So you've got, you have to eat, you know, some more simple carbohydrates. Those are going to be more easily digestible. They're going to fuel your running better. So what we might consider kind of junky food is actually really great food for fueling during your run. After the run, go ahead, get some real food, get, you know, something that you can chew with your teeth. <laughs> but during the run, you're going to want some really simple, quick carbohydrates carbohydrates and you know your body processes those differently when you're exercising than versus sitting on the couch. So, you know, don't don't eat a bunch of gels while you're watching Netflix, but that's perfect for when you're trying to run a marathon. Yeah. Yeah, that, that does not sound appetizing whatsoever eating some <laughs> <No>. gels. <laughs> They're not appetizing anyway, even when yeah. we are running, you know. Some of them are better than others, but Yes. Yeah, true. <laughs> So what, what, speaking of what are some of maybe your favorite things or some of the favorite things that you recommend, especially for plant-based athletes, when they're going out on these like, like longer runs where they're not able to eat a burger on the way? Well, first of all, make sure that you are fueled before you even start. So I am very much against fasted running, especially for females. Everything that I've read and everyone I've talked to that actually studies this, you know, says to me that fasted running really puts you in a hole, bad per for performance. It's bad for recovery, does all, all these nasty things. So always, 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 always eat before you go on the run. And, you know, your stomach is going to be sensitive sometimes. So you have to really find something that works for you. So maybe it's just a banana. Maybe it is a graham cracker. You know, maybe it's a little bit of dried fruit, whatever it is, find something that works for you always. But if you're going on a much longer run, so I would say anything longer than 60 minutes, you are going to need more than a banana. So you're going to have to wake up earlier, one, two, three hours before your run, depending on what works for you and eat a real meal. So that would be something that's carbohydrate rich, but not necessarily a hundred percent carbohydrates. So you want something like a classic would be toast and peanut butter, oatmeal with um, some nuts and some blueberries on top. So something that is mainly carbohydrate, but the fat and the protein help that meal last a little longer because the worst thing would be to have this great breakfast and then start your run and your stomach starts growling. So you want to time it so you're not actually hungry when you start, but you want to make sure that your stomach isn't sloshing around because that cannot feel so good. And then when you're on the run, you got to experiment with what works for you. So some of the gels, they're great as far as nutrition goes, as far as the rocket fuel that you need to run fast. But some people will have stomach irritation with that because your blood is being diverted to your muscles and away from your stomach. So um, that slows digestion, slows the emptying of your stomach. So um, it tends to just sit there and that doesn't feel so good. So I always tell people to experiment. There's lots and lots of stuff on the market. You don't have to just have Gatorade and goo. There are all sorts of things. And, you know, some of the newer products have all this high-tech fancy science with them, you know, what the, what the uh, professionals are taking that allows them to take in these crazy high amounts of carbohydrates. And honestly, what we're seeing in the science is the more carbohydrate you can handle in your stomach, the better you will perform. And so some of these, you know, Iliad Kipchoge just broke uh, his own world record in the marathon at the Berlin marathon this weekend. 
And he's taking in 90 grams or more or 100 grams of carbohydrates per hour. So that's 400 calories an hour. That is a lot of calories. So most, most normal people can't tolerate that much, but you know, you want to start a little less than that. It all depends on intensity of your run and how long you're running, all of that stuff. But in general, the more you can tolerate the better. So you got to train your stomach on your long runs. Wow. So you're not just training for the runs, but you're training your stomach too to absolutely, tolerate. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is 100% how much you can tolerate. You, yeah. you know, you know, people talk about hitting the wall in the marathon and they say, oh, I was great until mile 16. And then I just felt like I was hitting a brick wall. And most of the time that is not due to your training. That is due to lack of fueling. Your brain simply says, go get some food, stop this silliness (laughs) of this (laughs) marathon. And it slows you down because it doesn't want to run out of fuel. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So do we need, you know, you talked about the high tech, like Mm -hmm. goods or things like that, that are coming out. Do we need those? Like, do we have to go out and buy those or can we, are there things that we can just get maybe at the regular grocery store to help fuel our runs? Yeah. Yeah. So you don't need that. And I have come up with a few uh, recipes for some gels, homemade gels made out of real food that I um, experimented with. So the problem with real food on the run, if you're, if you're doing a really slow, like let's say you're doing an ultra or you're just jogging, you're trying to get, you know, some aerobic work, you're not at a high intensity level. The lower your intensity level, the more your stomach can handle all sorts of things. But as soon as you start really pushing yourself, again, that blood is being diverted away from the stomach. And so what seems to trouble people the most is things with high fructose content. And so that's going to be your natural stuff. You know, fructose is the sugar in fruit. And so if you're relying on, let's say, you know, dried, dried fruit for your fuel, that's going to come along with fiber and that's going to be high in fructose. And the other thing about some of these more scientific products is that they're meant to have different kinds of carbohydrates, though, not just fructose, not just glucose, you know, they're, they're different kinds and those are absorbed through different pathways. And so what they're finding out is that if you have a variety of different fuels, they can be absorbed in different ways. And so you can actually intake and process more than if you chose a single source. So some of those, so it really all depends on what your goals are and, and how intense you are about this whole thing. If you just want to run long and you want to be in the woods for five hours, absolutely eat real food, eat some potatoes with salt on it, you know, pack some rice with soy sauce. You know, if you're able to run slow enough that you can actually chew your food, which you can't do when you're running fast, if you're running that slow, go for it, eat a variety of things. But once the intensity level goes up, you really want jet fuel and not diesel. <laughs> I like that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, and I, I have actually never heard of anyone mention rice and soy sauce. What a great recommendation, especially if you're able to, like you said, chew and kind of just take things on, on the slower end. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the Japanese runners obviously, yeah. you know, do that and it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Cause you need the salt from the, the soy sauce yes. to keep going too and keep you hydrated. Yeah. That's brilliant. Um, when it comes to these runs and different things, do you, do you coach people on how to track, you know, every single gram of carbohydrate that's going into their mouth as they're running? Is there some formula that you use? Do you base it more off intuition? What's your kind of approach to that? So with tracking, 
I I take a let's look at this approach, not a this is how you should do it approach. So just from my own experience, um, this is when I became a fan of temporary tracking is because I was having these smoothies after my runs. And so I would put in some fruit. I put in some plant milk. Oh, walnuts are good for me. Oh, I'm going to put in another banana. And I just thought that these were the greatest things ever. And then I was like, hmm, maybe I should figure out what this actually was. And I, I was eating these 700 calorie smoothies just for a snack, you know? And I was like, okay, I got to relook at this. I tell people, you know, talk to people if they're really struggling. I think we need to look at the data. We have a watch that tells us exactly what we run, how fast, what our heartbeat is. You know, we have all this data about our activity, but we have very little data about what we are putting in our mouths. So let's look at that for a week. You know, whether you use a piece of paper or whether you just take a photograph of what you're eating, you know, we don't need to go down to the gram, but I find that it's a, it's a wake up call for some people that are like, oh, I eat healthy. And actually they're like, Hmm, maybe we could tweak this. Maybe we can tweak that. I'm not about judgment. If I'm, I'm not about restriction. You know, if you like something, find a way to incorporate it, incorporate it into your diet. But if you are truly trying to transform your body, either for physical reasons or for performance reasons, you got to know what you're eating. But I also am careful to caution that tracking is a tool, just like your watch tracking is a tool. You can use it and it can tell you good things, or you can use it and you can feel really bad about yourself, you know? So I don't recommend that people do it long-term, especially if you have eating disorder issues or history of that, it can really kind of trigger people. But if you can really look at it as a neutral tool, it's a snapshot of what you're eating. I do it for a very temporary uh, amount of time. If, if the client wants to, you know, and if they don't want to, fine. But if we're really trying to figure out what is the 1% difference, really taking a look at what you're eating does make a difference. Yeah. Like you said, kind of just giving you some data points to see if there's anything that needs to be changed or tweaked to making mm-hmm. sure that you're getting everything, whether it's enough or too much, you know, a- adapting that based on what it is that you see in the numbers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I make it 100% clear with the app plates that I work with. I am not a registered dietitian. I have a, a certificate in sports nutrition, but it's not a full degree. So I tell people right away, if if you really want meal plans and macro breakdowns and you want grocery lists and all of that stuff, you need to head to a sports nutritionist that who is a registered dietitian. Those are the only people that should be going absolutely that deep. What I do is look at what you're eating and how it relates to what you're doing before, during, and after your runs and your workouts. But for really detailed analysis, they need to go to people like you. (laughs) That makes sense. Yep. I like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Are there any common struggles that you see, especially when people are starting out, you know, when you're working with them, any common struggles you see with your clients or common questions that people have? Cause I know, I'm sure there's people listening who are kind of like, they're, they're wanting to maybe cross over into doing some more running, whether it's like you said, a Turkey trot coming up or maybe something more extensive, like a half marathon or a marathon. One of these days, what are some common problem solving things that you do with your clients, especially in the beginning? Well, the number one thing that I have to do with my clients is teach them how to run slowly. So running slowly is 
the hardest thing that I do. And it's counterintuitive. People think, well, I'm trying to actually run fast. Why are you making me run slow? And it's because running slowly is what builds your aerobic system. So aerobic means with oxygen. And that is the main energy system that is used in any long distance race, which is anything over a half mile, you're going to be heavily reliant on your aerobic system. So that's what needs to be developed the most. When you start running really fast, that does train your high end speed, but our high end speed is actually quite limited. That's going to, you know, be in our genetics for the most part, in our age. And yes, it can be tra- it can be trained somewhat, but what we really have the capacity to develop is our aerobic system. We, you know, humans are the best endurance runners on the planet. You know, given enough time, we can outrun any species, and so that is because of our unique ability to have this huge aerobic engine and because we sweat, but that's different. Um, And so what you need to do is stay in that slow, easy aerobic zone where you can have a conversation. You should be able to have a conversation just as easily as if you were walking. And if you can't, if you can only get a, a sentence out at a time, that means you really need to slow down. And the other thing it does besides build up your aerobic engine is that it really promotes recovery. So if you're always running in this middle zone, we call it the gray zone, you're getting really good at sort of being average, (laughs) you know, you're not, you're never going to get faster because it's too hard to be easy and aerobic, but yet it's not hard enough to challenge that high end speed. So you're never going to really build your stamina, which is speed plus endurance, because you're always kind of staying in the gray zone. So you need to recover from your hard runs with easy runs or rest days and keep them really slow. So yeah, you got to run slow to run fast. So counterintuitive, but it's true. I was going to say, I imagine that's a really challenging thing, especially in the beginning. It's like, well, I just want to run fast. That's what I want to do. So why are you trying to make me run slow? Yep. Yeah. Tough concept, but it's absolutely critical. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything nutrition wise that you, in addition to kind of what we talked about that you make sure that especially new people, when they're going out on their runs that you just make sure that they're aware of, or just like little tips that you give them there? Yeah, absolutely. Fueling before, during, and after a run. So we already talked about before and during you want to practice fueling on anything that is longer than 60 minutes, or if you're doing a hard workout, that's about 30 to 45 minutes, you'll probably want to take some calories in. And then after the run, we need to focus on recovery. So, you know, the biggest thing that you've lost when you come back from a run is the glycogen, which is what your muscles use to run. It's also what your brain uses. So it really likes glycogen. So, and you replace that with carbohydrate, but then you've also caused micro damage to your muscles. So that's a time where you need to get some protein in to repair those muscles. And then a little bit of fat is good too. You know, it is one of the macronutrients, but for runners, the two things they really need to concentrate on are carbohydrates and protein most. So you really want to make sure that you are eating as soon as feasibly possible after a run, you know, is there a window that you need to refuel in? Yes and no. Is it super important? You know, the body's smart enough. It will take the fuel when you need it. But if you if you wait to eat, the longer you wait, the more you are prolonging the recovery process. So your body's in the hole from, you know, working out so hard. If you delay refueling, 
it's still trying to recover, but it doesn't have the fuel to recover. So you're just making that whole process harder and take longer. And there is some science that it shows that not eating soon enough can also contribute to muscle soreness. So you wake up the next day and you have delayed onset muscle soreness, and that makes your next run feel harder. And it could have been solved if you just had that smoothie after you run. <laughs> yep. So making sure not only the beginning portion of your run, you're fueled for, but also afterwards and beginning too, but yeah, mm-hmm. keeping all those in mind. Yeah. And you know, you don't need to fuel your little bitty, you know, easy run. You don't need to be sucking down, you know, Gatorade and gels when you're going out for 30 minutes. Please don't do that. You know, but some people do go the wrong direction. And if you're not training for performance, if you are training, if you are running because you do want to change your body composition, then you need to look at what you're eating a little bit differently. And so what I tell those people is you still need to eat after your run, but hopefully you can time your run so that you are just about to eat a meal anyway. And so you're not having to have all of these extra snacks. You're timing it. So you're just about to eat lunch or you're just about to eat a bigger breakfast or you run right before dinner or whatever it is. So you're not having to take in all these extra, extra, extra calories, you know, if your goals are not performance. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Is there anything you recommend in addition to running like any Anything restorative or strength training that you recommend in addition to going out for runs? Strength training, 1 million percent. We think that all we need to do is run to be good runners. And yes, that is the most important thing. But being strong will make you more powerful. It will make you faster and it will make you more injury resistant. So absolutely, I believe that strength training is so, 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 so important. You know, it doesn't actually matter how you get your strength training in as much as long as you do it. So some people will do five or 10 minutes every single day. Some people will do two or three times a week with a longer session. You know, if you are really training hard for a particular running goal, you don't need to be super strong. You don't need to have, you know, 60 minutes in the gym every day. Not at all. That'll actually hinder your running progress, but you do need to do enough to support your running. So strength training, strength training, strength training. And as far as restorative stuff, I don't do a ton of all of the, you know, things that most people seem to do with the massages and stuff. I definitely foam roll. Um, I have a good foam roller that I love and that feels amazing. I have a hot tub. <laughs> I'm lucky enough to have a hot tub yes. and the I absolutely has changed my life. If you can if you can get into one of those, the the warm water and the water pressure is actually really good for recovery and circulation. But again, the thing that I think is super important and underrated is going out for a walk. So You know, if you work from, even if you work from home or at the office, if you can take a five minute walk every, you know, hour or couple of hours or or whatever it is, it does an amazing job for your mental health and just to get the the muscles and everything moving. And it's, I, I recommend walking so much. So just sneak in a little bit whenever you can. Yeah. 
So if you're not moving or walking right now, maybe later today, you can do that. <laughs> yes. And it yeah. doesn't have to be this big elaborate thing. Just go sneak out for five minutes and come back. You know, yes. if you can go for a half an hour walk or walk your dog or something like that, that's awesome. But it, don't pressure yourself like, oh my God, I need to do my walking today. Like just go get a little sunshine and come back in. Yes. yes. <laughs> and don't undermine a five minute walk. Cause like you said, it can be really restorative and just give yourself yeah. some peace for that day. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah for sure. Wonderful. Well, Claire, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing all this wonderful information where if people are interested in working with you or connecting with you, where is the best place that they can do that? I am the planted runner just about everywhere. So Instagram at the planted runner, uh, my website is the planted runner. My podcast is the planted runner podcast. And I uh, also have a book coming out in February and that is the planted runner. And it's basically how to run your best fueled by plants. So all sorts of running and uh, nutrition advice. So um, be looking for that real soon. Yes. Congratulations. That's really exciting. Yeah. I imagine a lot of love went into that book. Too much one and done for that one. Writing a book is hard. (laughs) Yes. So I've heard. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, we'll include all of those links in the show notes so that you can easily just click below and check out and connect with Claire. So again, Claire, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was fun, Ashley. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Plant-Centered and Thriving Podcast today. If you found this episode inspiring, please share it with a friend or post it on social media and tag me so I can personally say thank you. Until next time, keep thriving.